I'm curious, how many of you, some point this last week, had one of those moments where you said to yourself, just kind of like, what am I doing? Does anybody have that kind of week? You can nod your head. Do you have a week? What kind of, what kind of life? You're like, what, what am I doing? Is this all worth it? All this busyness, all this frustration, all this energy I'm pouring out. Is it really making a difference? I mean, how can we tell, really? And, sh- and shouldn't we be able to tell? Wouldn't it be nice if we could tell if we were making the kind of difference that we want in life? <clears throat> if there was some kind of evidence that let us know um, that we were having a lasting impact in our relationships and the world around us? See, busyness surely can't be a sign of making a difference, can it? But I think busyness has become a badge I was listening to a podcast this past week. It was actually a podcast done by kids. And the host was talking to these kids, and this kid was like, well, I do this and I do that. And, and the podcast host just kind of said, well, boy, you're just doing all kinds of things, aren't you? And it's almost become a badge, you know? It's almost become like something we have to do. Stay busy. But, but that can't be the marker of, of a lasting impact in eternity. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we move from from merely hoping that all of our activity is creating a ripple in eternity to definitely knowing that what we are doing with our lives is making a lasting impact? See, I think one of the great causes of internal despair is uncertainty of purpose, pouring out effort without the clarity that what I'm doing, how I'm engaging the world, how I'm engaging the relationships in my life is actually making a difference. And so if we lack a clarity of purpose, if we lack knowing and feeling like my life is actually making a difference, our souls start to wither and we start to die from the inside out, not unlike a plant that isn't getting the nourishment it needs. Now, I have to say, I have seen a lot of plants in my life not get the nourishment they need because we kill houseplants like it's our job, okay? <laughs> we get these plants, especially succulents. Does anyone in here actually know how to care for a succulent? Those, Vicki, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to put that in my notes for today. Talk to Vicki after service today. <laughs> Keeping a plant nourished, it's not easy, and I've never been a houseplant person. They're pretty, right? Don't you like going into like a nice coffee shop or walking in, and you see all these plants, and then you start wondering, are they real or are they fake? And it's just easier to get the fake ones sometimes, it seems, right? I never learned how to take care of a houseplant until a fig tree A a young fig tree arrived on our doorstep. And I say it arrived on our doorstep because it literally did. It was shipped to us. We uh, had a friend, a friend, she's from the Mississippi area. It's one of my wife's friends. And so she's got family back home. And one of her, I believe it was one of her family members, like a grandparent, her, her mom's dad, I believe, passed away. And so my wife's very good at these things. And so she uh, ordered a, a fig tree, a little fig tree plant to be sent to her, um, sent to the grieving family. But instead, it arrived on our doorstep. And what happened, we were thinking, well, how are we going to get, we're not going to ship this thing to Mississippi. Who knows how to do this? And so it just kind of sat in our corner, and it slowly started to die. Now, fig trees are really hard to take care of, if you know anything about them. They are temperamental. Did you know, I didn't know plants could be temperamental. I know children can be. I didn't know plants could be. But they're like that. 
And so it's temperamental, and it started withering. It started dying. The leaves started to droop. It started to wilt. It started to die. And I just, inside of me, something changed. I had never been a houseplant person because it was never worth the effort to me. But this little fig tree was meant for a grieving person. And, I, and it was in the corner, and it was just dying. And I thought, I can't let this happen. I can't let this fig tree die. And so I started watering it. I started moving it to, into the sun and like rotating it because you have to or else the leaves, they, they, they grow, it grows all bent and twisty if you don't rotate it. Did you know you're supposed to shake fig trees? I didn't either. You're supposed to shake them. It's just weird, but it like helps, okay? So like there's all these little things with these, this tree to care for it, to nurture it, to, to learn about it, and to help it thrive. And I cared for this fig tree for over a year. And finally, I got up the, the courage, or at least it became aware, like, hey, honey, when are we going to send this to Mississippi? She's like, what do you mean? Well, isn't this meant for Rachel's mom? What do you, what do you mean? Like, we go we over this year ago, didn't remember Rachel's, Rachel's grandma, her mom died, or, you know, it's like, didn't we send this? Oh, I just sent her another one. And I had no idea. I'd been caring for this fig tree for a year, thinking it was going to somebody else, and my wife had already taken care of it. And so I celebrated, because I got to keep it for myself. And I have a picture of it. I want to show a picture of my fig tree. Can we put up the, my fig tree now? There, there it is. Look at that. It started off this big. And I was never into it. But in my world, my own internal world, in Justin land, that was meant for somebody. And it made a difference. And, and I turned into somebody who cared for that. Not because I wanted to, or that was the way I was originally thought my life was going to go, but it's like, this is meant for somebody, and I wanted to make a difference. And so I think for us, as, as we kind of move forward in today, I think what we can discover is that when we know we can make a real, lasting difference, we will find remarkable things happening in ourselves and in our lives. We will change. We will change. We will transform. We will do the hard work when we know that what we are doing is going to make a difference in somebody's life. Now, I will have to say one thing. My fig tree has not done something yet, and that is produce actual figs. Now, it could. I didn't know this. I had to look it up. These fig trees that you see places, they actually can produce fruit, but what has happened, like with a bunch of other things probably that we've done in this world, is it's been domesticated by bringing it into my house. Now, if I lived in a temperate climate, or, or, I'm sorry, a more tropical climate than our, than our temperate climate that we're in, and I planted it outside, and it got all the water and all the sun that it needed. It comes from a tropical climate. It would actually produce fruit. It would actually give me figs. But it's not, because it's become domesticated, living inside my walls and just sitting there in the corner. It has become domesticated, and it's living a, a decorative life, which kind of reminds me of our own condition. You and I, we are created to produce fruit in our lives. But we have to ask, have we been domesticated? Have we given up on our true callings and purposes? And instead of living a fruitful life, have we instead pursued a decorative life? Like a plant that just kind of sits in the corner and looks pretty. But when you get up close, it has nothing from which to give. I want to look at Mark 11, 12 through 21, where Jesus himself curses a fig tree, which seems odd. It seems odd he would do this, but, but he curses a fig tree and then clears a temple. 
And so if you would, um, we're going to put the scripture up on the slides. If you have a Bible or if you want to check the app, we're going to read together Mark 11, 12 through 21. And I'm going to invite you into this. I want you to imagine you are there. I want you to imagine Jesus is speaking these words to you. Um, and you can think and reflect on what it would be like to be in this situation. And so I'm going to read all the way through these verses. It's Mark 11, 12 through 21. Now him and his disciples, the next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, and he noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him, but they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city, and the next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you have cursed has withered and died. Now, this, first of all, there seems like there's two storylines happening, but, but, Somehow they're, they're connected, and Mark wants us to get that. Mark wants to know that these stories that seem really, really random are actually put right together so that we can learn something. And so if we look at the first story, we look at Jesus passing this fig tree. It seems really random. And again, it seems almost out of character because I think a lot of times our mental model of who Jesus is is the kind of like buddy Jesus, pat you on the back Jesus, who, who you know, is, is just always there to put an arm around you. But I don't know that this matches that. In fact, I was doing a small group in our neighborhood with some middle schoolers, and I, and I love doing this small group, is because they can't, they can't hide their face. The reality, like, what they feel is on their face instantly, and I love that. They can't hide anything. And so I'm reading this scripture to some of these middle schoolers, and I get to the part where Jesus curses this fig tree, and their jaws literally drop. They go, and they, what? He cursed a fig, why? And then one of them says, is the fig tree evil? And I, was, I don't know. This is like, 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 let's just give Jesus the benefit of the doubt here. And I think we have to do that too. Sometimes when we read this scripture or we get into this, this Bible, we, we read these, these passages, we have to say, okay, if Jesus really was the son of God and who he said he was, maybe we need to give him the benefit of the doubt and let, us, let him challenge us with our assumptions. See, it seems harsh. It seems out of character. But but reading some commentaries, and I had, and honestly, like, I, I don't have a degree at a seminary. I don't have a theological degree, so I have to learn. I have to read deeper. And so reading about why Jesus would do this and, and reading some commentaries about this, see, the fig tree was created to produce fruit. But it was living a decorative life. If you read the scripture here, it says it was early in the season, but it had full leaf. And so Jesus is walking along and it's standing out. And, and what some of the commentators say is that this fig tree was promoting a false maturity. That it wanted to look like 
it was doing all the right things. And it wanted to look like it was, you know, being what it was supposed to be because it was created to feed others and to produce these fig trees that would be nutritious and, and agricultural and help people. But it wasn't. And so when Jesus got up, it, it, it had this false, it got close, it had this false maturity. But when he got close to it, it was barren and producing nothing. Which is why Mark sticks these verses, this little account of the fig tree, right next to what was going on at the temple. So I'm going to read that real quick because we're supposed to draw some kind of comparison between this fig tree and what was happening at the temple. So I'm just going to read this again, verses 15 through 19. When, Jesus, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. See, when Jesus enters Jerusalem, he gets up close to the temple, and the temple was supposed to be this place where people could come and draw near to God. Like, that was the purpose of the temple, was to physically show up and draw near to God. And to receive mercy, to receive grace, to receive forgiveness of sin. But the people there at the temple had set up a marketplace. Because in this culture, at this time, in this place, people would come with guilt. And they would want to draw near to God. And the way to draw near to God was to, prov to provide a sacrifice. And so if you were maybe, um, you didn't have a sacrifice, you'd have to buy one. You'd have to show up and take money out of your pocket and provide, provide that. And there was these money changers that had set up. And there was this whole system of kind of corruption. Because if you're guilty, or you feel that guilt, if you feel oppressed, if you feel broken, there's a vulnerability you have. There's a weakness. And so here's this temple, which is supposed to be flourishing and blooming with fruitfulness, the fruitfulness of helping people draw near to God. But instead, it, was, it had become an exploitive place. It was full of consumers, people who were trying to make a buck off of other people's guilt and shame. And so Jesus got up close to the temple, and he saw what was going on in there. And he's like, this isn't what it's supposed to be. This, is what it isn't, this isn't what it's supposed to look like to draw near to God. What we find in the temple are people involved in fruitless religious activity. They were living a lie for themselves and not for others. It should discomfort us, but, but we have to ask ourselves, what if this represents us? What if all of our busyness and activity is more about promoting a false maturity than, promoting and pr than producing lasting good in the world? See, you and I, we were designed to be co-creators with God. His design for us has always been to bear fruit, to not live consumptively and decoratively. In the very beginning of creation, God created humans and told them, and I'm going to put some verbs up here on the side screen. These are some, some verbs from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. God told Adam and Eve, he told the very beginning of humanity to govern, to reign, to tend, to watch over, to name, 
to be fruitful and multiply. God has always created humans to be co-creators with him, to be a part of the formation of the world with him, to rule and reign as a partner. It's almost like God is calling us to be co-parents with him in this world, where we look around, we look at the, the, the brokenness, we look at people who need help, and we learn to walk alongside of them, to give them our time, to give them our talents, to give them our treasures, to use how he made us to help form them in a way that's going to bring flourishing to their lives. And so the people in this temple were too busy living a decorative, consumptive life to see that they weren't being who God created them to be. They were operating against their created design, just like the fig tree that he cursed on the side of the road. See, to not be fruitful with our lives will lead to a kind of dying and withering of the soul. Because when we choose to be consumptive and not fruitful, we're not operating according to our design. Which is exactly what we see in verses 20. And I'm just going to read that real quick as we come back to that. Jesus drives everybody out and then the the disciples walk past that fig tree again. And that's where Mark kind of closes the loop on these two stories and shows us that this goes together. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had to say to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. When we live a life of unbridled consuming, centering our world around satisfying our own desires, we are violating the very foundation, the roots of who we were made to be, and we wither and we die. What do we do then? For us, what we've tried to craft and and what we've tried to do with this series, and and not just the series, but but just kind of like the background operating system of Shoal Creek are these journeys, these different pathways we learn to walk together so that we can make overall movement on our spiritual journeys. And so what we have is this consumer-to-producer pathway, this verb of serving, We get involved in serving others, of embracing our calling as co-creators, partnering with God. See, serving brings thriving. Serving brings thriving because it brings us closer to Jesus. We walk the path that Jesus walked. In Mark, so like half a chapter back, just right before this whole fig tree thing, like half a chapter back, Mark records Jesus talking to his disciples and talking about what leadership is. And he says, if you want to be a leader, don't be like the leaders of this world who lord authority over people, serve one another. And he wraps it up there in verse 45 and says, for even the Son of Man, which was a name he used for himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. Serving brings thriving. Because not even Jesus himself came to be served, but to serve others, to give his life away. Serving brings thriving because it jumpstarts our spiritual journeys. It's often the place where we get the most traction, especially early on in our journeys. 
I remember I uh, went to uh, Northwest, and I remember um, leading, just kind of trying to figure out my life as a young adult, as young adults often do, as middle adults and all adults often have to redo throughout their lives, as figure figure things out. But I can remember going up there, and I can remember um, just having kind of a religious background of showing up uh, at Catholic Church. Uh, through my teen years and going off and on. And I remember going up to, and meeting a group of people who were involved in um, FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I remember going to a weekly meeting there and hanging out and meeting some people. And then I remember getting invited to a Bible study and going there and, and, and learning. And then I remember at the end of that first semester, the leader of that huddle asking me if I wanted to help lead, if I wanted to help serve on the team that planned those FCA weekly meetings. And I can remember thinking to myself, this guy has no idea about me. He really doesn't. Because I was going out every weekend and, 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 and living this dual life, doing the party thing on the weekends, then going to the Bible study on Tuesday. Like I was searching, I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. And I can remember asking him, how long do I have to choose? Like, when do you need an answer? If you want me to help you serve, because I knew in my head something would have to change. Like, I knew I couldn't keep doing what I was doing and living the life I was living and say, yeah, I'm going to help lead this whole, like, campus Christian ministry thing. He's like, I'll give you three days. I said, okay. And so I thought, took three days, and I just really felt in my heart, like, this is a choice. This is an opportunity here. This is a fork in the road for me personally. I can keep just attending and keep attending the Bible study. I can keep attending the weekly meeting, and then I can go out on the weekend, do my own thing. Or I, I can choose this path of really trying to walk and follow Jesus with my life. And so I made the choice to say yes to him, and then I went out and got a case of Coors Light and got us through as much of it as I could <laughs> on that weekend, because I knew that things were going to have to change for me. I knew I couldn't walk this path of Jesus and not change some things in my life. And so serving, this whole idea of saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to walk the path that Jesus walked. It made a really big difference to me. It was where I got the most traction early on in my spiritual journey because I knew to follow Jesus meant I was going to have to make my life try to look like his life. Serving brings thriving because it jumpstarts our spiritual journeys. It also transforms us into who we were designed to be. See, God has a plan for you. I know, isn't that the most like cheesy thing you can say? Like, God has a plan for your life, my son. You know, like, it's so cheesy. But, but I think we, we can't miss that it's actually true. Like, every human in every place and time has been created so stinking uniquely. So your personality, even if you're a little bit curmudgeonly, your personality, where you are placed in this world, uh, your gifts, your talents, what makes you freaking you is so cool and so wonderful and so much a part of God's plan for redeeming this world and making this world a better place to live. And so it's through, through learning how to exercise those gifts it's really, really like exercise, learning how to exercise those gifts of how God... You might be wondering, why is God giving me this passion? Why can't I seem to not get this idea out of my head? 
a lot of us, we question, like, what, you know, this is kind of like back with the drum, like, what am I doing with my life? Is this what life's supposed to be like? I feel I used to have these desires. I used to want to do these things. But where is it all leading? And so if you're feeling that kind of void of purpose, you're not thriving. But by exercising the way that God has built you and made you specifically for this point in your life, it's going to give you a nourishment that you wouldn't get otherwise. Serving brings thriving. Lastly here, because it t- makes us closer to each other. Last week we talked about moving from isolation to community. We talked about that being jur- the, the journey of, of, of leaving behind aloneness. I think serving is a really good step not just as its own standalone journey, but in the moving from isolation to community journey. Because I think, and, and what I've experienced in my own life, is some of the closest bonds I have with other humans on this earth come from learning how to be on mission with them. How to fight alongside each other. How to pray, how to pray the same kind of prayers about good happening in this world. When you find somebody that you can walk alongside and fight the same battles and live for the same cause, you develop a sisterhood or a brotherhood or a fellowship, you know, like fellowship of the ring, right? You know, like they had this duty that they had to do. They had to, to complete this task. And so if you've, if you've not felt connected around here at Shoal Creek or any other place maybe where you're volunteering or, serve, or you're just connected with, maybe it's a school system, I think the serve journey, the getting in the game journey, that's also a huge piece of the community journey, of getting to meet people, of getting to understand their stories. Because when you're serving, you're walking along alongside of people, you get to be a part of their story. And that's what's cool is you're starting to then craft a story that comes together. You're part of new things and new experiences and new trials all together. And you start to weave a new story in your life along with the story of someone else. And there are countless stories around here that you may not even know of about what happens when we take a step in moving from consumer to producer in our journeys. And, and I just we want to take a few moments right now because we've captured some of those stories of people who have, have seen their lives start to thrive by moving through this journey. <laughs>